Smoking kills. It is the single most practical way to slowly lose years off your life. Why do they do it? Makes you want to give in and cry. So, live and let die. It's their own damn fault, isn't it? Should we really care if others want to smoke? Even though smokers are segregated, marginalised to the outside of buildings and kicked off planes, it turns out that smoke still gets in our lives. So, hold your breath. Other People Smoke is next on The Chopping List. Episode 9. Other People Smoke Fifty years ago, nearly half of the population smoked. It's hard to imagine. Now, fortunately, only one in seven adults continues to smoke. Still, if you put all the smokers together in one place, you'd have the population almost the size of India. Over a billion people. These smokers are not insane. They're not reckless or indifferent just as our parents weren't. It's just hard for smokers to imagine a life, or even a day, without a smoke, and the consolation that each cigarette provides. But that is their problem, isn't it? Our problem is that, every day, a billion smokers and their smoke interact with all us non-smokers in our shared environment, and at this ratio we can't easily avoid smokers or their smoke, even if we'd hold our breath in their vicinity. Some of the hundreds of toxic chemicals that smoke contains can be passed on through the air, and this is called secondhand smoke. Secondhand smoke is not just really irritating, causing us to cough as we rush past the smoker's huddle. This secondhand smoke is also a major risk to our health and longevity. Rates of some cancers, heart disease, stroke, depression, and many other life-shortening illnesses are clearly increased by continued exposure to second-hand smoke and the toxins contained therein. The size of this effect is not small. For example, the risk of a heart attack or stroke in non-smokers repeatedly exposed to second-hand smoke is increased by a third to a quarter. This is the risk equivalent of smoking five cigarettes a day, even though the exposure to second-hand smoke in a non-smoker is less than 5% that of a five-a-day smoker. Young kids are particularly vulnerable to second-hand smoke, with a seriously large increase in the frequency and severity of things like breathing problems, chest and ear infections, and asthma if either parent is a smoker, and even more so if both smoke. Kids are also more sensitive to smoke. There is no safe limit in kids, which is why the public ban of smoking is widely extended to places like schools and playgrounds. Some countries also ban smoking in cars, especially when kids are present. Along with the declining numbers of smokers, the restoration of smoke-free places in the world has reduced exposure to second-hand smoke by over two-thirds that which was breathed 30 years ago, when it was still even possible to smoke on a plane. Today the idea of flying through the toxic fog of someone else's smoke is almost inconceivable 
let alone the risk it has of setting fire to the jet fuel and oxygen in the central tanks and simply blowing up the plane. Back in the 70s, 40% of all adults were regular smokers. At last in the majority, non-smokers pressed for their own rights for being smoke-free. Not surprisingly, airlines were still reluctant to lose 40% of their market through banning all smoking on planes. So to reduce the discomfort for their non-smoking clientele, as well as the potential for onboard confrontation over the issue, passengers were segregated on planes for the first time into separate sections, smoking or non-smoking, as the phrase went. Subsequently, in 1987, Australia became the first country in the world to ban smoking outright on all domestic flights, recognising that it would actually save them money by making it easier to allocate the seats as well as reduce the cleaning costs, all airlines quickly got on board. The Australian government, however, did not ban smoking on international flights, initially for the fear that it would disadvantage the local, then government-owned carrier. Many were also concerned that it would have just been too much to ask smokers to abstain all that time on the very long journey. So it took another eight years before smoking was banned on all flights to and from Australia. Although first proposed in the US in 1969, it wasn't until the year 2000 that the US legislated that all flights, both domestic and international, should be smoke-free across America. Today, all aircraft in many workplaces and public places are smoke-free, especially indoors. And this is important because simply separating smokers from non-smokers, as was tried on planes, doesn't work, even with good ventilation. Tiny airborne particles of smoke permeate everything, even things that are relatively far from the smoke. The most common solution nowadays is to simply send the smokers outside, which is why smokers now huddle outside many buildings. But this sort of moves the problem, doesn't really eliminate it. Anyone and anything within proximity of the smokers, indoors or outdoors, is still being exposed to their smoke. And we all have to get into the building or out of it sometime. So we will frequently fly through their toxic clouds. Not all, but most of the toxins remain within a few metres of the smokers. So holding our breath could work. Only we usually don't think of this until we're in the midst of their smoke. And breath holding a lungful of someone else's smoke makes the toxins go down deeper and stay there for longer. We could always wait for them to go home. But even after the smokers have packed up and gone away, sometimes you come into a room or a space where a smoker has been and it reeks. We instantly recognise the lingering, pungent odour from cigarette smoke. We know they've been there. This smell is caused by the aromatic fumes, not from second-hand smoke in the air, but emanating from dust particles and tar that are stuck to almost every surface. These particles can remain in place for many weeks after the smoke has been extinguished and the fog of smoke has cleared. Over time, however, the residue of smoke leaches its chemicals back into the air, giving rise to that characteristic smell of a room that has previously hosted a smoker. This airborne residual is sometimes called third-hand smoke. Unlike smoke in the air, which tends to dissipate over time, the toxins in third-hand smoke, 
build up and build up with each cigarette smoked in a room, cumulatively contaminating the environment. The more cigarettes that are smoked in a space, the more it will smell. And this is particularly the case in small, hot spaces, like the inside of a smoker's car, or that back hallway near the exit, where the smokers congregate. Even though there's no smoking inside, there's still plenty of smoke. Third-hand smoke is just as toxic as puffing on a cigarette. It is made up of the same toxic chemicals that fall in and out of the air until they are breathed in or blown away. All of the same diseases that are increased in smokers happen in higher rates in people exposed third-hand to someone else's smoke. The other important feature of third-hand smoke is that it's notoriously resistant to conventional cleaning. Airing out the room, turning on the fan, vacuuming until we collapse can never fully eliminate the distinctive odour of smoke. This is because the tar in smoke literally sticks to surfaces, which then continue to slowly emit their smelly and toxic chemicals for days or even months afterwards. One popular fix is the bake-out, and this involves raising the temperature in a room as much as possible for a few days to the point that most of the volatile substances hiding in a room can become airborne. You can then open every door and every window, turn on every fan and simply blow out the fumes into someone else's environment. Oh, and don't forget to hold your breath. Another proposed solution is the e-cigarette. Most non-smokers have no idea what these are, imagining in their mind's eye that smokers are getting their digital kicks sucking on their android. But the premise is very simple. Drip a few drops of nicotine-enriched flavoured liquid onto a hot element, just like in the kitchen. This creates a cloud of vapour that simulates the sensation of smoking, but without the smoke. So, rather than being called smokers, e-cigarette users are reassuringly called vapours. And this is also why the distinction is made on planes. They can't just say, no smoking is allowed, as e-cigarettes make vapour and not smoke. On this basis as well, e-cigarettes are widely promoted as a cleaner, safer way to deliver nicotine. Without the smoke and the tar, vapours from e-cigarettes are probably less poisonous, but they are still a poison. Like email compared to standard mail, you still get that same old junk. In fact, some of the same carcinogens present in cigarette smoke are also found in the vapour created by an e-cigarette, including nicotine, of course, ethylene glycol, antifreeze, formaldehyde, used in embalming, and acrolein, a form of toxic tear gas. The vapour created by an e-cigarette is also rich in particulate matter, which is why we can see it, often more easily than cigarette smoke. But it's not smoke they inhale, as nothing is burnt, it's more like dense smog. And this is also why it causes the same smoker's cough, as it irritates the lungs, and makes the vapours, and those nearby, really feel like they've had a lungful of smoke. The bottom line is the only thing that effectively protects non-smokers is to make their world smoke-free, like on a plane, many indoor workplaces and public spaces. Such smoke-free legislation works and has saved countless lives. 
Simply segregating smokers from non-smokers, as was tried on a plane, is simply appeasement and does not work in the long run. Creating designated smoke-free zones, restricting smoking to out of the house or out of the car or out of the office, is far less effective. So, if you see me walking down the street and I start to cough, or even hold my breath each time we meet, put out that cigarette, or walk on by. For more information about other people's smoke and other things that you can do for your longevity, please read The Longevity List by Merlin Thomas, published by Exile Press, available from all good bookstores or from thelongevitylistbook.com. Thank you for listening.